is okay. Can we trust God that much? With all of our hearts? With all of our concerns? I'd like you to do something, okay? Just a second, and you can either physically do it or think about it. Take your bulletin, and on a scale of one to ten, with zero being, I don't trust God, period. And ten being, absolutely, I trust God, I never question anything. I'm not going to ask how many ten. <laughs> how much do you trust God? Write that number down or think of that number. And hold it, because we're going to come back to it later. <clears throat> we're beginning today, though we're pre I'm preaching from Proverbs, a series on the book of Colossians. And the book of Colossians, and in fact the whole Bible, is all about learning to trust God. The Colossians were struggling with it. We struggle with it. And I think you will find this to be a very practical study. It goes all the way through the summer. And part of it will be learning why we can trust him. And then part of it will be learning how we can trust him in practical ways. I'd like to start by giving you some background. The to whom, by whom, from where, and why. That's the basic thing when you're looking at a book in the Bible. But I have a problem, I have to confess. Because I'm preaching on trust, I have to be absolutely trustworthy, and here is the problem. We're not sure about much of anything when it comes to Colossae. We're not sure, and this is shocking, that Paul wrote it. We're not sure if he did where he was when he wrote it. And we're not sure why he wrote it, other than God asking to. So I'm just being up front with you on that. The thing about Colossae that we do know, very few things, it was located on the southern bank of the Lycus River about 110 miles east of Ephesus. And it is in modern-day Turkey. We know that it is 11 miles from Laodicea. And do you remember what was famous about Laodicea? It was the lukewarm church, and this letter is to be read there as well. So there's a definite connection between Colossae and Laodicea, and it was agricultural. We know that the main thing about it was its agriculture. It was once an important city. We don't know why, but it was. But that was before Paul wrote this letter. And we know that, and there's no connection, I don't think, after they received this letter, within two or three years, there was a massive earthquake. And it destroyed the city. It was somewhat rebuilt and then destroyed again by fire. It's never been excavated. Never has, have there been archaeologists that have brought things forward to help us understand it. That's why we know so little about it. We think that maybe the church there was founded by Epaphras, who is mentioned in verse uh, chapter 1, verse 7. We know that Paul did not found this church because it says this in the book of Colossians. Okay? So that's what we know. Now, we're going to assume that Paul wrote this letter. Most people do believe that. And that he was in Rome when he did when he wrote the letter. Maybe it was written by a student of his. 
Maybe it was written from Ephesus, but no matter what, it was compatible with what Paul teaches, very similar to the book of Ephesians. There's a lot of controversy about what the problem was that Paul was addressing. Apparently it was some sort of heresy. When was the last time we spent a long time talking about heresy? God's a blessing, Pastor Steve. How long did we spend in 1 John? <laughs> what was the, come on, make my day. What was the heresy in 1 John? Jay knows. <laughs> Let's hear it Thank for Jay. Jay. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not going back through it. Gnosticism may play a part here as well, but probably it was something a little different from that. We know from what Paul writes that the people that were observing this, that were believing in this heresy, were being told they needed to observe special holy days, that there were food and drink restrictions, purity regulations. It included angels, spirits, and visions. It required extreme humility. Some people believe that the false teaching came from the Jews. They had a lot of these elements in the way that they practiced their faith, and they were trying to convince the Colossians that not only what they were doing was wrong, but it would never, ever, ever get them God's favor. Because God's favor was reserved for the Jews. Okay? This is the false teaching that we believe is the basis that Paul wrote this letter to address. The Colossians were challenged no sooner. Because Christianity was so new, they didn't have, like we do, we have 2,000 years of teaching and tradition to fall back on when we're not sure whether something is right or not. This is very new, very, very shortly after Christ has died, within a few decades. And so they don't have that basis. Those that were drawn in by the false teaching were trusting works, that they could earn God's favor. They were trusting other people's opinions. And most of all, they were trusting their own ability to run their own lives, to control their own circumstances. Does that sound familiar? We never do that. Never. They were not trusting God, nor were they trusting his son to be in control of their lives. So how to deal with the uncertainty of what I'm telling you, to whether it's true or not, the book of Colossians is God's word. It is absolutely authoritative. It doesn't matter who wrote it. It doesn't matter where it was written. It matters that it was written. It reminds me of when I was in the Holy Land and we were in Jerusalem and they were telling us different places where Christ might have walked. There were only a couple places they were sure. Whether we're downing, trust in the sufficiency of his sacrifice. 
because of who he is and what he has done for us. That's the first two chapters. The second two chapters teach us how to live a life based on trusting him and how to give God control over those areas of our lives that we find it difficult to do. It talks about how to trust him with behavior, with attitude, with our possessions, our relationships. It teaches us how to pray and how to reach out to those who don't know Christ. So do you think there's a need to study this book? I should ask those who don't need it to stand up. <laughs> I will do that. I need it. I assume you do also. We'll spend five months learning to trust God more. And aren't you excited about handing over total control of your life to God? Aren't you excited? Proverbs 3, 5 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Or is it easier to be like those Colossians who trusted themselves more than they were trusting God? To be in control of their lives. It was fun. I came across, I, I shared in January um, a Christian's Guide to Excuses, and I talked about how these were excuses for not being humble. I doubt you remember, but I remember it was fun. And I found this one three excuses you can, can use, you can use these in the next few months, to avoid giving God control over your life. Ready? Excuse number one. The doubtful excuse. I would give God control of my life, but how do I know he would be as good at running my life as I am? <laughs> sure, he created the universe, but does he really know how to run my life better than I do? I doubt it. That's number one. Two, I love this one, the free will excuse. I would surrender my life to God, but God specifically gave us free will. So if I surrender to him and obey him, I will be free to do whatever I want. And that goes against the free will he created us with in the first place. And I don't want to contradict God. And finally, the small percentage excuse. I will give God control of my life in small pieces over a long period of time. I will give God exactly 1% of my life every year for the next 100 years. You, you see, if I just gave God my whole life today, he has no motive to keep me alive. <laughs> but this way, he, he has to let me live for the next 100 years if he wants all of me. You, you can use those. Dr. R.G. Lee said, if you trust in administration, you will get what administration can do. If you trust in hard work, you will get what hard work can do. If you trust in your sparkling personality, you will get what personality can do. But if you trust in God, you will get what God can do. As we go through the book of Colossians, I would encourage you to do these things to help you get the most out of it and to be able to learn to trust God more.
first attend the services. Hello? And hear the messages. Second, you'll find in your bulletin every week, this week or on the front section of the bulletin, reflection exercises. They take you deeper in a, in a way, a prayerful way, to use those each week during your quiet time. Attend the sermon companion class if you can. These guys are going to do a fabulous job in helping us to go deeper into the scriptures. And then, choose one area of your life, one place in your life, right now, that you know you haven't been able to get over to God. Just one would be a huge difference. As you hear the messages of why God and Christ are so trustworthy, work on practical ways to give him control in that area. Choose to behave, practice behaving, like someone does who trusts God in that specific area, beginning this week. Think about how does someone who trusts God with their finances behave? How does someone who trusts God with their health behave? With their spouse, their children, their other relationships, with their job situation, with their church. You get the idea. Choose something that God is putting on your heart to concentrate on. And then if something is added later, that's great. But at least choose one. Romans 15, 13, which, by the way, was definitely written by Paul to the Romans when he was in Corinth, says this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Trust is the core of our faith. I'm looking forward to the next few months. I'm looking forward to growing in my ability to trust God. And I pray that you are as well. Would you pray with me? Thank you for this congregation that's 